Dog Talk and Kitties too. I am Tracy Hotchner, best friend to dogs and kitty cats listening on Peconic Public Broadcasting in the Hamptons, on Robin Hood Radio in Connecticut and the Berkshires, and by podcast everywhere else. Please give a listen to all my new Pet Talk radio shows on the Radio Pet Lady Network, co-hosted by top pet experts at RadioPetLady.com. Dog Talk is a production of Eight Paws LLC, which is solely responsible for its content and is brought to you with the generous support of Platinum Performance Supplements, Precious Cat Litters, Nordic Naturals Omega-3 Fish Oils, the Animal Specialty Center in Westchester, New York, and Waruva Pet Foods. Waruva is a family-owned company that makes their canned foods in a human food facility because they believe our pets deserve to eat as well as we do. All the flavors of Waruva, Cats in the Kitchen, and their more economical BFF, Best Feline Friend brands, are made to appeal to finicky little dogs and choosy cats, especially those who are trying to transition away from unhealthy dry foods. The Waruva family chooses not to make any dry food because cats are obligate carnivores and they believe that for optimal health, they should eat only meat. We have a wonderful, very kitten-cat-oriented day. First, I'm going to be talking with Robin from Kitten Associates, an amazing cat foster mom. And then a beautiful book, Kittenhood, full-size, life-size portraits of kittens. And the, the photographer will be joining us to talk about how she got those shots. And then Amy McCullough from the American Humane Association is going to talk about an extraordinary nonprofit effort called Canines and Childhood Cancer Project, which I'm going to get really involved in in this new year that we're starting. And I'm looking forward to saying hi to my pal, Robin, from Kitten Associates. Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. It's wonderful to talk to you. Hi, Tracy. Thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure. Robin was one of the absolute first callers when I started that new show, Cat Crazy, after I started the new Radio Pet Lady internet radio talk shows. And Robin is the most dedicated cat person, great sense of humor. But what you do, Robin, is to my mind, completely unique. You don't just foster cats and whole litters, but you like your whole life revolves around them and the kitten cam and adoptions. And you go to people's houses and make sure they're really a good adopter. (laughs) Can you start from the beginning? And you're right there in Connecticut, just across the water, guys, this fine, fine lady. Can you talk a little bit how you got how you got into this line of of cat saving? Sure. Well, it starts like pretty much anybody else, you know, with a love for cats and wanting to do more than just have, you know, your own one or two cats. And I decided to just volunteer for a local rescue organization as a foster mom. And then it just grew and grew from there. I I realized that I just couldn't do enough to save these cats at risk. So I started looking for more and more ways to help. And it just started to grow exponentially from there. So how would you caution other people to protect their own lives from becoming a house completely overtaken with cameras showing cute kittens and (laughs) bathrooms that you can't use because the sick cat's in the bathroom. How do we keep from going down that road? Because, you know, do-gooding is swell and some of us do more than others, but 
you've just made it into this really cool, delightful project that you you don't, you know, you don't, as the English would say, you don't whinge about it. But God, it's a lot of time and money and effort. <laughs> what is the thing that keeps your your boat floating? Is it placing those cats in loving homes and realizing you just saved another cat and fulfilled somebody's life cat-wise? I think that's definitely part of it. Um, certainly it is challenging to not be able to have guests over, but <laughs> usually the people that like to visit love cats so much that they actually think it's awesome to sleep in a room with six kittens bouncing on their head all night long. So I would say have forgiving friends and family. Um, the other thing is I'm fortunate in that the space I live in is big enough so that if we don't have the use of a bathroom as we don't right now uh we still have two other bathrooms so nobody's going out in a bucket in the backyard that's Um, that's 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 yeah that would be worrisome in suburban connecticut if people you know if you were trying to construct an outhouse and find homes for the kittens right although i think it's something you would almost do i mean you're so into it but you aren't like a crazy person you have a life aside from the cats right (laughs) <laughs> not really. no oops a long pause <laughs> no, no life aside from the cats no i have i have life, but my life is very integrated with theirs so that i don't really feel like it's that big of a you know yes. issue i think sometimes you know like anybody else i sure would like to go on a vacation i haven't done that for years but i get a lot of joy just spending time with the kittens and sometimes that's just kind of a vacation from whatever I'm worried about, you know, spend 15 minutes with kittens bouncing on you and you can't be depressed. I mean, you just, it's not right. allowed. That's right. And how, and have you, you've created, you've gone from being a volunteer at a, at a rescue to pretty much mm-hmm. creating your own. Do you have a coterie of adoring people who adore you, who adore kittens, who adore what you're doing, <laughs> who pitch in, or do they just come over what? and eat your cookies and popcorn yeah, and right. kittens? Well, actually, I'm very, very lucky um, because I write a blog about cats and I also run a nonprofit cat rescue. Over the years, I've developed, I would say, a very, very loyal group of people. Most of them live, you know, outside of Connecticut. They live in different parts of the world or different parts of the United States. And I'm not kidding. I constantly open the front door and there's a box of something no. that somebody sent us like a box of usually it's food thank god uh, or it's cat toys things from our amazon wish list so people are just they love to know that people are out there doing good things for other cats that really need it and they want to support it and they may necessarily not be able to do it on their own so if they help us do what we need to get done then they're part of our team that's really cool. I was afraid you were going to say you open your door and there's boxes full of kittens, but that has oh, happened God, no. to you too, right? Uh, it hasn't happened yet. I know it's going to, um, but fortunately, because we live in Newtown and we have a brand new animal control facility, if we really had a problem, I could get them to help me hold the cats because they have a beautiful facility and uh, I would have backup. But yeah, I mean, I that is something I do concern myself with because I think the key here of not going out of control is to set reasonable boundaries and not take on more than you can handle so that your house isn't dirty and that your animals aren't sick. 
Well, you, but then you you do go out looking for kittens, or I mean, you're just wandering along, and there's like a window well, and you spend half a day yeah. extricating <laughs> the the litter from some horrible, damp, cold, nasty window well. I mean, do people like? Is there a hotline they call you and they say, "We know where there's kittens," and then you go and get oh, yeah. them? Yeah, I mean, yeah, every day I get emails, wow. I get calls, I get you know, smoke signals, all kinds of whatever <laughs> it is. People are just saying, "I've got this. Can you help me?" And I think a lot of what we do, even if you might look at our numbers and say, "Well, we don't adopt out more than maybe a hundred cats over a year," we a network to help a lot more cats at least get to safety so well, a lot I've of what we do is just kind of you know hey do you know somebody that can right. two more cats right and and you have enough people that somebody will say yes but but the thing that that amazes me there's a lot of dog rescues usually a breed mm-hmm. rescue but not always where they really do check out the home uh, somehow mm-hmm. or other, they may not physically go there, but maybe they call the, the vet who is a reference. But you right. go and check out the homes for any cat or kitten you that you place. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. Hey, I got to sleep at night. that kind of standard for yourself. I mean, that that's just so extraordinary because that's so much time to set up that meeting and drive to that place and deal with people and have all your antenna up. And what is it that... If somebody had a disgusting, gross, nasty place, would that be what would tell you forget it? Or is it they understand, for example, your extraordinary devotion to good nourishment and you don't want people to feed dry food? Hooray, no kitty crack. How do you – is that part of why you do the visit? Well, we do the visit for a lot of reasons. Mostly it's if there are other animals in the home, we want to see what kind of condition they're in and how they're doing if they're social enough to be with other animals that we're going to bring into the home and we try to look for any issues that might come up so that the introductions can go better. We look for sanitation. We look for foolishness. Like sometimes people have peace lilies or things that are extremely poisonous and they don't realize it, or they're, they're planning on feeding the cat right next to the litter pan, or they don't have a place for the cat to look out the window or any toys, you know, simple things like that. But we've been in situations where we're going to a home and like one home, it smelled bad and it was very, very, very terribly messy. But I loved the people. But I also knew that the cat that they wanted wouldn't be a good match for that kind of situation because she was already tended to be somewhat fearful. So I said no. And I felt terrible about it because they were very, very lovely people. But it's, again, it's not, I have to look at a 20-year commitment kind of thing. Wow. And what's going to be in the best interest of those people, because they're not going to have a good experience with a cat that's going to hide anyway. And yes. what's yes. happened to the cat? She's going to be terrified for the rest of her life. I'm not going to do that. So you're saying in a case like that where the house is like physically chaotic, but the people's heart is in the right place, you'll kind of have like a little, in the old days, a file card box. I, of course, because I have not gotten up with the program of modern days, I actually have file cards in a box. They still make those for people like me. Do you save (laughs) those people's name for when you get a happy-go-lucky, doesn't-matter-to-me kind of cat who doesn't mind walking over, I don't know, suitcases in the living room? I, I, if I had more volunteers, I could track that kind of thing. We are building all kinds of databases to do things like that, but right now we don't have it. But I do keep them in the back of my mind because for me, the home visit, the not eating the crappy food and all this stuff 
just adds up to what is the best match. I'm really a matchmaker. I'm not a cat rescuer. And that's really the key for me is somebody may come to me and say, I want two kittens. And then I have little kids and I'm never home. And I'm like, no, that's not a good match. Let me make suggestions. And usually through education, people understand they're going to have a much better experience with that cat than they would have if they just went out and got what they thought was a cute little kitty that's going to be grown up in six months anyway. Yes. And you might even send them to the the new town, nice new shelter if you didn't have a mature older cat who was, let's say, childproof in his way. Now, covered in cat hair, your hilarious and charming blog, which with a name like that, how could we not love it? That is actually how I originally met you. And you've been, so you're a blogger who views it as professional, as part of, do you consider it part of your business or part of who you are or simply something you do when you have time? You do, right? I mean, it it is a business. No, it absolutely is. And I've been writing it for almost eight years now. So, you know, we've gotten a lot of, we've been very fortunate to get a lot of accolades and awards and things like that. Um, And the wonderful thing about it, or the terrible thing, because this is a warning to everyone I started blogging about fostering my cats and all of a sudden people were telling me about the plight of cats in the Southern United States who really have it bad and who needed help. And then all of a sudden, the next thing I know, I'm opening a nonprofit cat rescue because of my readership. (laughs) So it was really that inspiration of realizing there was a huge need that you weren't exactly meeting. How many like fans do you have on Facebook? Is that vulgar these days to say to somebody, is it like saying how much money do you have or how old are you? Can you say to somebody, how many fans (laughs) do you have? Well, you can say it, but really if you understand what they call analytics, which is a study of, the numbers you have on Facebook and other social media, it's, it's about engagement. So my numbers right. I think are kind of low. I would say I'm almost at 11,000, which is, you know, okay. But my engagement, which means how many people are actually reading what I'm doing and paying attention and making comments is about 20%, which is pretty, pretty good. It's not super fantastic, but it's pretty darn good. So um, you know, some blogs may have a hundred thousand fans and then some have like one percent engagement, which means nobody's looking at what they're saying. Which is just an interesting thing to bring up because in this modern day of blogging where a lot of people have lost jobs as magazine writers or editors, they they can't get their books published anymore. There's this sort of idea that blogging is a career or profession. They they say that even Mm -hmm. tweeting could be a profession, which is a very frightening thought. Wow. I know. Yep. Yep. That's what they've been telling. Some people are being let off from major magazines. You should really tweet like, hello, I used to write, you know, 30,000 word articles. But I mean, I think it's really an interesting aside that blogging has been a way for you to do what you believe in deeply and Mm -hmm. connect you with people like me and other people that are part of the media, getting the word out increasing mm-hmm. the level of awareness that people have of these amazing activities that you're doing with these kittens at kitten associates and, and taking these animals to vets. I don't know how it's taken us months to make this date to talk because if you're not at a vet, you're doing a home visit or you're out in, stuck in a window <laughs> well trying to extricate some very tiny yeah. little kittens. And I just think the whole thing is so admirable, but I, I do want you to sort of in a weird sort of way, be a cautionary tale, but maybe yeah. even inspiration. If there's something you really love and care about 
and you have the sense of humor and the style and the touch that you do, I think you can be a really successful blogger because what you care about, you are reaching people as opposed to just a blog as a way to, I know, I'll support myself with ads on my blog. It doesn't really work no. like that, right? No, it doesn't work like that at all. And as a matter of fact, I don't make an income from my blog, but if I didn't have my blog, Kitten Associates would have nothing in the bank. And that's the big key for me is I tell stories about all the cats we rescue from the start to the finish, and everybody loves following the story, and they want to know what's going to happen next, and then they want to know what happens next, and then when I'm sick and I need help, we get fundraisers filled yes. in 24 hours. I've seen you do that once in a blue moon. You'll write something yeah. uncovered in cat hair. You have it extremely sick. And and I guess yep. it's because you don't go to that well frequently. You only no. go there when you're up against the wall. And you have this this yep. phalanx of veterinarians that work with you, I'm sure, on a greatly mm-hmm. reduced fee. You see some yep. of the best vets in Connecticut and Westchester because I'm often like, really? That vet's my co-host or been on my show. Right. And they all really respect what you're doing. They really care about what you're you're doing. So I'd love you to say the names of some of those vets just because if these vets are your vets, when to mm-hmm. you listeners, it would be really nice for you to, I think, acknowledge those vets either in a note or a phone call and just say, thanks for what you do for Kitten Associates. Because I think that while those donations are fantastic, if you weren't getting a lot of reduced fees, you couldn't you couldn't rescue and save these mothers and kittens. And I think that those a lot of these vets are unsung heroes. I mean, you thank them. Yeah. You you know kiss the, the oh, ground yeah. they walk on. Yeah. I think it's really good to out out loud outside of the family circle say these mm-hmm. are vets do, doing a great deal. Just like you say, people will mail you something because they want to be part of it. These vets are giving up supplies and time and vet mm-hmm. tech time to help you. So who are some of, of your go-to vets? Just because I think a lot of the listeners might go to those vets and I think it'd be great if they gave an extra pat on the head or back for it. Oh, I would love that. Well, we have three vets we work with a lot and they are the cat clinic in Danbury. And I'm not going to name the vet because sadly, Dr. Nero passed away in April and I loved Bye. Dr. Nero very much. But they are still running strong. They've got a fleet of new vets that are great, like Dr. Feldman. Um, and they they do a wonderful thing for us to give us a great discount. We also work with Dr. Mixon here in Newtown at Newtown Veterinary Center. He is extraordinarily generous with his time. He stays neuters our cats and kittens for, like, hardly any money at all. I, wow. I depend on him very much. And then lastly, my own personal vet, uh, Maple Ridge Animal Clinic, Dr. Pizzullo and Dr. O'Donnell are probably the two most caring, sweet vets. They love us. We've taken over 125 cats to them in our time with them. Wow. And they would do anything for us, anything. They're not arrogant. They, They talk to specialists at the drop of a dime for me. You know, whatever I need. I even went in there once. I thought I broke my toe. They were going to almost begged them to x-ray my toe for me. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I'm sure you nearly awesome. broke your toe rescuing a cat, knowing you. Probably rescue, yeah. sweeping it up from some car that nearly ran over and ran over your toe instead. Right, well, I exactly. think that's really great. It's good to know that, there, it, that there's a feline-only practice in Danbury. So that's the cat oh, clinic? Oh, yeah. The cat clinic, yep. That's so great. Well, I think that... 
What are your, what are your wishes for this new year for 2014? What is, what is on your wish list to just keep on chugging? Cause you're doing quite a lot already, or do you have some new vision project? The kitten cam, by the way, you can, if people go to covered in cat hair, the blog, can they see the kitten cam? You know, I should, I should put a link on there. Um, we actually have it on kittenassociates.org. There is a little button on the right page on the front that says CR, we call it Squee TV. And we have three channels that are running 24-7, and they can click on any of those channels and visit our kitty cams. Um, but as far as next year goes, I have a secret wish that I probably shouldn't say on the air, um, well, as long as it's fairly clean and NPR friendly, oh, you go absolutely, absolutely, hundred percent. No, my dream actually, I would love to open a cat cafe. Is that insane? Oh, Probably. I would, yeah. but I need capital, and that that's going to be a lot of money. But um, you can't know, you go to some local yeah. cafe that that needs to d- distinguish itself from Starbucks and say, "How would you like to become the cat cafe?" You know, I'm open to anything at this point. I just, I, I love, I love tea. I love donuts. <laughs> I love cats. Stick me in a place, and I love people. I think, I think I would love it. But so um, you, so you be, should, yeah. you should be the queen of the cat cafe. I think yeah. that there has to be some wonderful little deli or cafe in your neighborhood that's just yeah, looking for go. a way to, uh, to, I, to, to rise above the crowd. So anybody <laughs> listening in the, the yeah, Newtown, Connecticut area, if you have that deli, yeah. you're looking for a hook. The hook could be <laughs> covered in cat hair. You could, you know, and you could slip cover your 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 chairs so they don't get covered in cat hair. They could actually be exactly. washed. Well, <laughs> it's it's tremendous to be able to to hear the story and have everyone hear the story here, Robin. I love what you're doing. I want this show and my other shows, Cat Crazy and Dog Talk and Cat Chat. I want to, to find a way to, to help send people to Covered in Cat Hair so that when you have those appeals, the, the cat-loving people know what you're doing and they know that you're a totally for-real person, a true nonprofit, in fact, out-of-pocket a lot. If there's the opposite of nonprofit, it's like the out-of-pocket. You're the out-of-pocket yeah, right. <laughs> nonprofit. So we're, we're going to keep on looking for ways to, to support what you're doing and to, to let people have the joy and the pleasure of following along on your, on your feline adventures. So thank you so much for being here with us. I'm sure there are many kittens screaming for your attention. And I will yes, let you get back to, to them. them. But, but, uh, but hats off to you and, and our, our next... Um, guest with the beautiful book kittenhood i mean it's such a gorgeous book and we're running a little contest around that so we're going to figure out maybe how the contest could do something good for kitten associates we're working on the idea so we'll we'll see what we can figure out so many people enter and i give a buck or i don't know there's a way there's a way to make something good happen because it's all these full-size portraits of kittens and course to you that would really be a busman's holiday or coles to newcastle a book full of (laughs) pictures of adorable kittens it's like and i need this because there aren't five of them right now on my lap but i always need more good pictures of kittens i love it it's definitely a celebration have a great day robin and thanks for spending time with us take care thanks tracy bye-bye bye-bye we'll be right back with kittenhood right after this word Support for Dog Talk comes from the Animal Specialty Center in Yonkers, just north of New York City. ASC is a comprehensive veterinary facility with around-the-clock emergency care and specialist veterinarians who work as a team to help your own veterinarian manage a pet's challenging medical condition. 
At the Animal Specialty Center, there are board-certified specialists in oncology, cardiology, dermatology, neurology, surgery, internal medicine, and dentistry. Doctors who work together using innovative tools to diagnose and treat the four-legged members of your family using state-of-the-art medical options. This show is also supported by Platinum Performance Comprehensive Nutritional Supplements, which contain nutrients designed to improve overall health at a cellular level, especially joint health and the arthritis that comes with aging. Platinum Performance makes supplements for dogs, cats, horses, and people too. I am back with the most delicious book ever. I mean, you could eat it up with a spoon. Sarah Beth Earnhardt, welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too with your magnificent book, Kittenhood, Life-Size Portraits of Kittens in Their First 12 Weeks. Uh, how did Thanks you... Thanks so much for having me. Oh my God, it's such a treat to have received this book. It's amazing. Uh, how did you... Oh my, yeah, there's a million questions, but I mean... They're life-size. It makes you want to pick up yeah. and cuddle these kittens. It's a, a Harry Abrams book, one of the, the great art book publishers of all time. And I just want to, before we talk about how did you get these shots and where are these kittens, I want all of them right now, this minute. <laughs> I just want to thank Harry Abrams for donating a copy of the book. We're going to have a contest starting this Monday which is going to benefit kittenassociates.org because you obviously are such a kitten lover. And so someone's mm -hmm. going to win a copy of this magnificent, truly coffee table book. It's almost a coffee table size in itself. You just have to go to the contest page of Radio Pet Lady Network. So you guys all know how to do that. RadioPetLady.com, go to the contest page. You will see images from this book and you will just totally want to win it. And there's no money involved. You just have to do a few social media kind of things. Sarah, you are a pet photographer. Your website or your Facebook page is gorgeous. You, you don't just Thank do you. kittens. Of course, that'd be limiting because they do grow, right? And then you'd have to have right. a, a book the size of a pit bull for the pit bulls. Where did you get all these, find all these kittens? Many of them are purebreds. I mean, did you go to breeders? Yeah, we did go to breeders. Um, I had an assistant helping me with this project when, uh, when Abrams first contacted me um, with their project of 25 different breeds. I was... You know, there's there's dog breeders all over the place here. It's like, oh, this will be easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's yeah, there's really not that many kitten breeders. So That's we really right. kind of searched far and wide and traveled. Um, I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we traveled to the other side of Wisconsin, to Iowa, to Illinois. Um, and yeah, these are all photographed at the breeders' homes. Um, I brought along a white seamless backdrop and some lights and started playing with kittens. Wow. There's one of Mabel the Sphinx. Those of you that, that yeah. know a lot about cats know that's the hairless cat. It's the most amazing photo ever. The way you got the wrinkles, the way you got the tail curled up just right. For every picture for you in, you know, when you're photographing people's pets, as well as art photography, how many photos would you say you take in, in order to find that one beyond perfect? This, this cat looks like, I don't know, the Sahara Desert, the, the, the sculpturedness <laughs> of the wrinkles and the face and the ears and this tail. Do you take yeah, thousands, hundreds? How many? Definitely hundreds. There, there's there's a an element of luck definitely involved with pets too. Like, I feel like I know kind of what to look for and anticipate things that they're going to do and kind of be ready for it. Um, but really, at the end of the day, they're going to do whatever they want to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, getting that tail curled just right or getting the wrinkles just right, you know, it's half luck and half skill and it's. And it helps to have an assistant, right? You have the assistant, the fluffer, as it were. 
Yeah. In, in some cases, yeah. we the, don't mean that in the, the porno the, way, guys. We mean fluffiness. No, 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 no. No. The, the toy dangler, the kitten wrangler. Yes. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, I need to be far enough away that I can actually focus on them. So I can't just be in there by myself. I have someone else that is kind of, as the kittens run away, they'll pick them up and put them back where we need them and, you know, dangling the toys and yeah, so definitely a group effort. Uh, one of the things that actually occurs to me that I need to get to you is a Neko Flies toy. Do you have one? Have you heard of them? No. I okay, don't I don't wait till it. you see. They're they're the most marvelous uh, wand toy developed by a, a lady up in Canada who's completely cat nutty, and this is her invention. And it's it's a, a, a plexiglass wand, and on the end are different, very very realistic, lifelike moving toys that can be interchange so there's one that's a dragonfly and one that's a, a, a tarantula and one that's a snake uh, not a snake that's i'm just thinking oh god people are scared of tarantulas it's called a tarantula <laughs> but it is a scary spider and there's you know mice and and butterflies and stuff be great um for you to be able to use for oh, these yeah. so i'm going to make sure you get one just because then every time you go somewhere people will go what is that toy i need to have one of those <laughs> Because she, be she does great, great work of giving away so many to shelters where, you know, the cats have need environmental enrichment a lot more than our home cats. Yeah. There's a picture of Allison, the Maine Coon kitten. Now, a lot of us have seen Maine Coon cats, big, big dog-like cats with their huge fur. Five weeks, 1.9 pounds. This cat, it has a face of like, I don't know, a very sad movie star. Five <laughs> weeks old. This cat is, looks like I really need a home or I need some lunch or something. I mean, some of them are just oh. unbelievably expressive, more than you think a five-week-old kitten could be. Oh, yeah, so much personality in their cases. Did you oh, have yeah. cats yourself before you embarked on this? I'm sorry, did I what? Did you have cats yourself before you oh, embarked yeah. on yes. it? Yeah, I do. I have, I have two currently. Um, I have a 10-year-old tuxedo cat named Simon, and then I have a big fat brown tabby named Chippy. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I grew up with kittens. Um, I grew up on a farm and we always had barn cats and kittens galore. So I've had a lot of experience um, interacting with them. And I can see that really because fun. you make yeah. them look so happy and joyful and and intelligent. Oh, I mean, all the things that kittens in a crazy sort of way are, they just they just <laughs> come out brilliant, don't they? But some of yeah, these, yeah. some of these cats, you don't always tell the breed, or maybe you do, and then you're looking at a page where the breed isn't mentioned. Oh, I see; these are Siberians. Wow, they're just yeah. there's a, a big wow factor in this book. I have to tell you, a big wow factor, in a <laughs> sense, about purebred cats because there's a lot of people who might say, "Well, what do you need a purebred cat for?" I mean, there's a million cats mm -hmm. or kittens in the shelter. And as I say about all acquisition of animals, however you get one is fine. Just support your local shelter and rescue, like Kitten Associates. Go ahead and buy from a responsible breeder, but then, you know, donate to your shelter or volunteer at your shelter mm -hmm. or drop off some goodies there. But I can see from these photos that there are such specifics about breeds, a Himalayan, a Himalayan yeah. Persian. I mean, all the different versions of of how a cat can turn out, and they are very distinctive, right? I mean, did you find yeah. personality-wise they were, or was really more the look? Oh, it's everything. Um, and that was a common thread between the breeders, too. Like, these these breeders are so passionate about their breed. Um, yes. You know, they're trying, they're maintaining the personality, the looks. That's you know, right. They're, they're striving for the, you know, the epitome of what that breed is, and it's really cool to see how, yeah, how much variety there really is. And how much, and um, how much goes into it? 
I'm sorry? How much goes into it in terms of really paying attention to that, unlike with purebred dogs where so much malady is bred into dogs and so much genetic weakness and so much distortion of mm -hmm. various face shapes in order to get a look, which over right. time in dog shows becomes more and more degraded to the point that there are dogs that are born with heart defects, dogs that are born unable right. to breed, breathe or breed for that matter, come to think of it, English bulldogs mm -hmm. and so yeah. forth can't even breed. But that isn't true in purebred cats. There's something very primal. Yes, I mean, I find that in, in your pictures well, in kittenhood. You know, with these breeders, definitely they're, they have the high-end genetics, but I have heard stories about not-so-good breeders that, that does come into play with the kittens as well, unfortunately. Well, okay, so that's um, educating me. That's good to know. Yeah. Is it more yeah, with it's the, not something you hear about as much as right. but um, I think it definitely exists. Smaller quantity of it. Have, have you found it or yeah. heard it mostly with the brachycephalic breeds, the very sh flat flat face breeds like Persians and so forth? Yeah, it can be those with, you know, the breathing problems. Um, and some of them that have the really the specialized ears yes. can have problems as well, just physically. As their ears develop, they don't develop properly, and they might have, you know, physical problems as well as neurological problems. And, yeah, like, I don't know that much about the medical side of it, but I've definitely heard that, you know, it can be a problem. It makes sense. Like the American curl, some of these cats that are born sort of mm -hmm. earless, I guess that in order to breed that, come to think of it, having said otherwise, now I'm I'm eating my hat, as it were, it, you'd have to do <laughs> well, a lot of inbreeding and you'd have to do a lot of discarding of some animals. I don't mean killing them, but you just wouldn't breed them in order to well, continue let me, let me, to achieve Let me correct that. you a little bit on the American curl ones. Please. Um, they do. They do have fully, fully formed, full-sized ears. They just actually curl back. Um, and that breeder um, kind of told me about how that happens. How does um, tell me? Tell us. Know, like we want to know. Yeah, I guess <laughs> you know, and it is through that selective breeding, like choosing the ones that their ears are already doing that. Um, but she said that all of these kittens are actually born just looking like regular kittens with their no ears kidding. kind of pointy and up. Yeah, and it's just something that happens. Like as they mature, that that specific genetic details start to kick in and I'll be darned from. that's really yeah. interesting and, because you yeah, look at you look at you, oh, similarly with um the Burmans yes I discovered um they're they're born all white and then as they get older that's when their seal point coloring comes in their darker little mask and their ears and stuff so interesting they, you know even the colors change yeah really cool well this book I learned is, a lot about kittens on it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's wonderful I mean you know it, as you say there isn't that much known and here's me that's supposed to be the expert and even I am in the dark about some of these things I haven't dug very deeply because it I don't think it's you know hurting our society as much as I think that you know carving up the ears of Doberman pinchers and making them be in a oh, cast no. for for months and months you know is necessarily a, 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 a good addition to the world but but no. where these kittens are concerned and where your book is concerned, it's just purely joyful. Sarah, thank you so much for getting this together. Yeah. With with the podcast of the show, I'm going to be sure to have a link to your Facebook page so people can find you because your portraiture is truly amazing and glorious. And people that want to have portraits of their, their own pets that may not even be kittens, they might be some other four-legged animal. I can see that you do an amazing job. And clearly, if you're willing to go all the way to hell and gone to get all these purebred cats, I'm sure you would go to <laughs> take somebody's own photos. So thank you so much for, for doing the book and for spending time with us. And, and everybody needs to go to the contest page of RadioPetLady.com and find out how to win a copy of this marvelous book. Thanks, Sarah. Have a great day. Thanks, Tracy. You too. Take care. I'll be right back after this quick word. 
Support for Dog Talk comes from Precious Cat Litter, which is privately owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who is dedicated to creating litters to appeal to pussy cats and protect their health. All the Precious Cat Litters are low dust for the health of all members of the household. Touch of the Outdoors is their newest litter made from field grass that provides environmental enrichment for indoor cats and entices them into the litter box with the natural scent of the great outdoors. Support for this show also comes from Nordic Naturals, omega-3 fish oil products that provide dogs and cats with the same premium quality omega-3 fish oils as for people. Research shows that even the best diets are deficient in the essential fatty acids found in omega-3 oils. Nordic Naturals uses responsibly sourced healthy wild fish and uses third-party testing to guarantee purity and freshness in all their oils. I am back with Amy McCullough of the Canines and Childhood Cancer Project at the American Humane Association, something which I've learned about recently and I intend in this wonderful new year that we have begun to make a major project of Dog Talk and Kitties Too. It is such a fascinating and important piece of work. Amy is the National Director of Animal Assisted Therapy at the American Humane Association, which a lot of people don't know, is actually the United States' oldest nonprofit, and it protects both children and animals. Amy, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, you're doing some pretty fascinating work because you're working on your doctorate in this, but you are actually using animal-assisted therapy in a very scientific way as well as in a very empathic one. You're actually in the process of showing scientifically, I guess, that having animals assist in people that are in various kinds of distress or need actually has a value. Now, the rest of us think, well, like, duh, of course. But I guess in order to make this into something that gets funding and is embraced by the various aspects of our society, we need people like you to prove what we kind of feel in our gut. Well, of course. Is that what you sort of see as your mission is proving the obvious to, to without a benefit, without a reasonable doubt? You're exactly right, yes. There is preliminary research that shows that animal-assisted therapy has positive benefits, but most of that research is primarily anecdotal and doesn't have the scientific rigor that is needed by, as you mentioned, funding agencies and to be really seen as a serious treatment modality by medical professionals and perhaps be prescribed by medical professionals someday. Yes, and the cost of it embraced even if not by insurance, by other agencies, social service agencies or whatever it might be. I mean, it's the sort of things we don't all think about, but in order to make a space in a hospital where children are being treated for cancer or in other settings where animals, mostly dogs, come in to therapeutically assist these people, there has to be a program in place, and all of that takes time and money, right? I mean, even though all the people coming are volunteers, your own two Goldens are, are old hands at this. These, these two are like pioneers in animal-assisted <laughs> therapy. Tell a little about them. They are, yes. I have two golden retrievers, Bailey and Beckett, and Bailey is the, definitely the senior uh, dog on it. She is 14 years old and still in great shape and still so loves great. to visit the local hospital. So, yes, we've gotten to see firsthand the impact that therapy dogs can have on the lives of people in need. And in, in particular now, this new project is targeting the, not just the children who have cancer, but their whole family. Because obviously the stress level, it, any of us that have lived through it know how bad it is. And the rest of us can just imagine 
what is that devastating impact on a family when they're told that their 2 to 11-year-old child has cancer? It upends your life completely. And I guess talk a little bit about this project because I was doing some reading about it. I'm going to have a link for everyone with the podcast so you can read about it and I hope support it, whether it's to finally decide I will make my dog a therapy dog and get involved even at any any place in your neighborhood that has children going through cancer. But in particular, the ones where the studies are, are St. Joseph Children's Hospital in Tampa, Florida and East Tennessee Children's Hospital. And you're doing that in conjunction with the University of Tennessee Veterinary College, correct? Right. Those two children's hospitals were instrumental in our pilot study and sort of testing the protocols and making sure that this is a feasible study to conduct in a clinical environment. So we're excited to announce that this month we are launching the full clinical trial now in five children's hospitals around wow. the country. So yeah, wow. very exciting. What a big job. And it's to measure the psychological, biological, and behavioral um, level in all three of those are measured to compare levels of stress experienced by the 40,000 children right now in cancer treatment in this country. And every year, four, almost 14,000 parents get this news. So the impact is across the country and a, and a, and a sizable number of people dealing with this, this highly stressful situation, right? Right. As you mentioned, cancer is a family disease. It impacts everyone around the patient as well, especially when you think of a small child. In the yes. focus groups we conducted, um, many parents said that they were having a more difficult time than their child was. And so if we can figure out how exactly the therapy dogs can impact and improve the stress anxiety that the parents and the children are experiencing as they're initially diagnosed and starting up their chemotherapy treatments. Um, this will be very exciting. The other thing that makes this study unique is that we're also measuring the impact on the therapy dogs themselves. I love that. I saw that in the in the fine print, so to speak. I was like, wait a minute, you're even going to see how the stress levels of the dogs are. Right. I mean, animal-assisted therapy is a mutually beneficial interaction, and so we need to show that the dogs are not negatively impacted during I these love interactions that. either. That's yeah. so that's so amazing to, to see that from the dog's point of view, because those of you who have been doing animal-assisted therapy for years, or even those who are newbies to it, you know how much the dogs love it. But again, this becomes anecdotal. It becomes anthropomorphic. My dog wags. My dog loves it. She's proud of herself. She feels good about it. She gets all this attention. She feels like, you know, she's special. But that's anecdotal, right? Exactly. Yes. We have to find some more objective measures. And so we're looking at it from a couple different angles until we can figure out how the therapy dogs, you know, can talk and tell us they're enjoying it. We're, <laughs> we're going to have to come at it from some different ways. So measuring the um, cortisol levels. In oh, the my saliva, goodness. Um, really? Getting a report from the handler um, and videotaping the interactions and then um, professionals will view these videos and watch the animal's behavior throughout the session as well. So through that sort of triangulation, we're hoping that we can really represent how the dog is experiencing as well. Which is a tremendous way of looking at, at, the, at the whole situation. Now, these are kids, children, and their families who are visiting about an hour a week with a therapy dog. Is that, is that part of the still part of your, your study? That was in the pilot program, I think. 
Right. The children come in on their regular treatment schedule, and usually that's at least once a week, depending on where they're at in their treatment schedule. And so in terms of the therapy dog intervention, they will meet with their assigned therapy dog. They're matched to the same dog. We'll see them every week in the clinic. And the intervention itself will last about 15 minutes with the dog, plus or minus, we say, five minutes. But that's sort of an, an average interaction that will, won't fatigue the child or the dog too much. So then I'm wondering if looking, at, looking ahead, so let's say it's pretty clear that you've set up a pretty smart study and it's going to show what you want it to show. It's one of those studies where you want it to show something. You're not just fishing in the dark. Let's say the therapy dogs became more embraced, uh, invited, encouraged in various um, communities, particularly for, for children with life-threatening illnesses. Do you foresee that this could at some point become a prescription, if, if you want to use that word, for children and their families undergoing cancer therapy to have a dog if they don't have one? Yes, I think that would be fabulous. To, it would increase pet ownership, but also for those families who aren't able to own a pet, just showing that interacting with a therapy dog on yes. a regular basis can impact their, improve their human health. Um, yeah, I think that would be a fabulous goal for us to achieve. So if, if the, the 20 minutes every time you go for your treatment, if, if it shows how much lower the stress level is for the whole family, how it, let's say, even humanizes, although it's a dog doing it, it humanizes that scary chemo hospital experience, it would, you would think that since the people go home and they're still all living with cancer, it'd be kind of fantastic if they took that message and thought, you know, having that four-legged pal around at home, you hear this about kids, you know, that's their kind of touchstone. It becomes another kind of a sibling for young children. It becomes someone they can cry with or tell their stories to or read a book to. It, it apparently really has a lot of value in a child's life. A lot of us who grew up with kids, no one ever thought of dogs having that kind of value to us. But I guess if scientists had to watch it, that's what you'd find out, right? Absolutely, yes. For the child then to have the dog available to them 24 hours a day, like you said, to help them throughout whatever they're going through. And even after they recover from yes. cancer, yes. Um, having that pet is just a constant companion then for that child. And we can learn so much from animals that I think that would be a, an amazing goal. Well, if we look at the PTSD um, therapy dogs for, for military, and I think that I'd love you to talk about what you've been able to do at the camps for the, the military families, or the families of, of deployed military members, that what you see is something that I myself had never really thought about, but they're always showing whether it's, you know, all of the wonderful programs that are placing often shelter dogs with individual uh, military that are, that are back in the United States, that they're with them 24-7. And that con continuity and that constancy is a big part of what works for them to overcome PTSD and just relocation into our into our world instead of the world they've been in. And for children going through cancer, they are other. They they are they are singled out by you know bad fate right. as being different from everybody else. And they you know they they miss a lot of school and they may lose their hair and they may be fragile in a lot of other ways and have to have continuing tests and treatment for years seems that maybe a dog of the right temperament or trained correctly to just to be that that always by your side kind of dog would be a wonderful 
a wonderful way of of feeling less abnormal. Tell about the camp that you, I don't know if you set it up or if you're in charge of it, the one in which there's canine-assisted um, therapy dogs for these kids at this military working families camp. Right. This is a partnership that American Humane Association has with the National Military Family Association, and they put on camps for children every summer across the country. These are children who currently have a parent deployed in the military. And so these camps are a week away from home, and it's with other children of military families so they can get to know other kids whose lifestyles might be the same, they may be feeling the same things. Yes. And so what we do is provide therapy dogs at these camps, and we found what happens is, well, initially it helps tremendously with homesickness when mom is dropping kids yes. off to camp and there's yes. a nice dog there. That helps a lot to say goodbye to mom. Um, but for those kids who um, are feeling unsure and maybe aren't as extroverted, a dog really can become that social lubricant and meeting yes. other children who are going through the same thing, being that um, sort of common thing to start talking about and and even talking to personally in terms of, you know, a dog can be such a great listener. And if a kiddo is going through a hard time, you know, that fuzzy ear can be really comforting to talk to and tell your secrets and, and just feel better by being able to communicate with another living being that you might not be comfortable with talking with, say, an adult. And, and feelings you don't even know how to articulate. And right. you just, you, you feel there's an open flow. You can imagine that there's kids that become withdrawn, shut down, depressed, frightened, I mean, imagery in movies, imagery on television, imagery in the news, and their parent, one of their parents is over there. So there's a big fear component, and I imagine that, that having these therapy dogs part of their lives for that week is pretty huge. When, and your, your mention was really interesting. Think how many more shelter dogs would be adopted. Because if there was, a, and I'm sure that, I, don't, I can't say it for sure, but I'm guessing that Southampton Shelter, which is the official shelter of this show, would happily waive an adoption fee if, you know, a, if a dog could go to a child with cancer or a child who's one of their parents is in the military, because that is such an important a, a donation back to people that can really benefit in more than the, than the kind of selfish ways the rest of us benefit from our dogs, a, a benefit that would be measurable. And in fact, as part of what you're doing is measuring that, which I, I think for all these reasons, the measuring of it it, it's funny, it sort of like goes backwards, right? It's something we've all figured out and learned. And someone like you who's been dedicated to doing canine therapy for all these years, you know it in, you know, down to your bones. But it's to have to go backwards and now prove what you've seen and know and experienced, it does have value because the world is a skeptical place. Ah, it's just a dog. Give them a stuffed animal, right? Right, so, right. And there still are barriers to different types of facilities. Even recruiting children's hospitals participate in the Canines and Childhood Cancer Study, we really saw a lot of um, different types of acceptance of therapy dogs. For instance, um, dogs might be allowed in one unit but not another, maybe not in the pediatric oncology unit. And so we're hoping that this study can show yes. that the benefits far outweigh any risks so that any children who's hospitalized or adult could have access to a therapy dog when it's appropriate. Right. In fact, you want to be at the places where there is that resistance that somehow children with cancer are different than adults with cancer or different than children with other diseases, when in fact, with all the proper medical precautions, 
there's no reason not to have a dog there and probably a, a lot of good reasons to have one there. I'm, my mind also jumps immediately to the Hole in the Wall Gang camps, my father and Paul Newman's company, Newman's Own, the foundation which gives away all of its proceeds every year, has these camps for children with life-threatening illnesses and some of these children are incredibly ill and coming there is one of the few times for them maybe in that year or a couple of years when they can feel normal and have fun and do things that other kids can do but in a, a really protective environment and there's lots of animals involved they can go riding and some of them have sheep and goats be really marvelous at some point in in this um canines and childhood cancer project to get some of those dogs to any of the hole in the wall gang camps so the one that my father and and Paul physically dug the first, you know, shovel full of dirt is in Connecticut, but they're all over the country. I think North Carolina, I know there's one in California. That would I would I would love to introduce you to the the gentleman who started out as a counselor and now runs I think all the camps or anyway, he's high up in in overseeing it. Wouldn't that be a, a great very welcoming place to have lots of children with cancer who animals are already part of of their healing process and part of their happiness? Yes, that would be a wonderful opportunity. Like you say, there are so many children out there who would love a visit from a therapy dog and so many great handlers who have yes. therapy dogs. It's just a matter of matching them together. So I think the hole-in-the-wall uh, gang camps would be a wonderful opportunity. Tell us where the other hospitals are, the children's hospitals, just so that people that are listening all over the country on podcast, maybe they're in the neighborhood of one of these hospitals and they want to get certified and become a therapy dog or... Maybe, heaven forbid, your child is in one of these hospitals as a cancer patient. You could specifically ask, could I please get into the study? So right. what are the other hospitals, Amy? Sure. The five hospitals that are participating are St. Joseph's Hospital in Tampa, Florida, who is also part of the pilot. They'll be continuing on. Um, another is the University of Massachusetts Medical School in conjunction with Tufts Veterinary School. Oh, wow. That's Boston. great. Yeah, that's a great partnership. Um, Monroe Carroll Jr. Um, Children's Hospital, which is in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, that's Vanderbilt University Children's Hospital. Um, uh, Randall Legacy Children's Hospital in Portland, Oregon. And wow. the last one is the University of California at Davis in conjunction no kidding. Um, with the vet school there at UC Davis. Wow, yeah, that's a really great marriage, those two. So the, the veterinary side of it is, is how you're going to be evaluating the dogs? Right. Having a veterinarian school involved is tremendously helpful. For one, a lot of vet schools operate an animal assistive therapy group, and so that helps provide handlers oh, I'll to be the darned. study. I didn't know that. Yes. Yes, Tufts has their own um, program. The University of Tennessee has a program that they operate. And so it's a nice partnership. So we have sort of medical professionals helping with the human side and then medical professionals helping with the canine side. So it's a great collaboration. It's very exciting. For people that want to learn more about it, I will have the link. But can you, if they just go to the AmericanHumaneAssociation.org website, is that the, the quickest way to get to the Canines and Childhood Cancer Project? Yes, there's a link right on our website. So you're right. Just go to AmericanHumane.org. And I'm sure that if, if a financial contribution isn't what you're thinking of, there are lots of other ways to be supportive of a project like this. I imagine that in each of those communities, if you were able to reach out to the American Humane Association and say, 
I don't have a trust fund. I don't have money to give you, but I live near UC Davis or I live in Tampa. I, I would just imagine that the more people that are supporting this project and talking about it and telling their neighbors about it, you never know when, I mean, on some level, Amy, maybe some wonderful lady has got her life savings under her mattresses, has been looking for something that she thinks would really make a difference, you know, and loves dogs and children or something. So I, it would, you know, it's, it's such a unique idea. And yet it's so, you know, the outcome's going to be good. You know, the outcome's going to be so positive for all the participants and that the information that's gathered is going to benefit so many more people beyond that. So I'm very excited to learn about it. Very excited to make it part of this show in an ongoing way so that I'm hoping you will shoot me any info that's coming out of your pipeline. Pictures of kids and the dogs, little information, names of dogs, you know, anything at all, children's comments. I think it's really important that that at least we who love dogs so much stay connected to what you're doing. I think it's a wonderful project. Great. Yes, we'd be happy to keep you involved and engaged throughout the entire study. It's, all, it's going to be a lot of fun and have some great results at the end. Terrific. Well, I'm very excited about it and very proud to be a little a little voice set cheering you on and all of us who are listening i think share a, a lot of compassion for what all those people are going through and a lot of appreciation of all the volunteers who bring their dogs thank you so much amy have a great rest of the day and thanks for visiting with us thank you so much take care thanks for listening everybody kiss your kitties and hug your pooches and we will talk again next week bye for now <laughs>